I'd like to read to you one of the prayer demands from Whisper from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. It's intriguing, I read recently, that the working title for this book, which was published in the late 1920s originally by Yogananda, was called Sacred Demands. And so let's tune into this reading as our own personal sacred demand. The sun shines high in the heavens. Everything is fully awake. Awaken thou me likewise. Thou art invisible, yet thine energy flows through the rays of sunshine. Fill my veins with thy invisible rays, making me strong and tireless. As the sun shines in the busiest streets, so may I behold thy rays of protecting love in the crowded places of my life's activities. As the light shines steadily, undisturbed on the street, whether crowded or empty, so may I hold my calmness and my strength steadily while I move through the crowded or empty streets of life. Give me strength, and what I receive, teach me to share with others. A few months shy of my 20th birthday, which wasn't that long ago, um, I went on an adventure, or as Winnie the Pooh would say, I went on an expedition. And this was traveling uh, for the better part of a year. I went primarily to Europe, but I went to Eastern Canada to visit one of my brothers, and then went on to Europe, and then I also went over to Israel. And I'd been meditating for about a year and a half. I began meditating when I was 18. So it had been about a year and a half of daily meditation before I went on this adventure. And I quickly fell into a deep, familiar relationship with meditation. It was very natural for me from the beginning. Uh, it's something I look forward to every day, twice a day. And it wasn't the approach of meditation that Yogananda gave was another approach, but many benefits came to me almost immediately from my practice, and I was very committed to it. And so before my adventure to going primarily to Europe, I researched as much as I could. Remember, this was in 1974. Guess what didn't exist at that time? <laughs> the internet. So as best I could, I went to the library and, and I purchased a guidebook and read travel magazines about Europe and spoke to people that had been there. And off I went. And um, I landed in Glasgow, Scotland. And the, besides the guidebook that I brought with me, the other book I brought with me was The Autobiography of a Yogi. It was a book that numerous people in my life had said that I should read, and so I agreed to. And unlike others, I know many of you in this room, and certainly Swami Kriyananda talks about when he first got a hold of the autobiography yogi when he was in New York City, he read it um, basically for the next three days. Me being maybe more um, less wise, I took a month to read it purposely. I really felt that I wanted to imbibe the vibration for a longer time. And my form of travel was primarily hitchhiking. It was back in another era, another yuga. And uh, that's how many people traveled at that point. But what was interesting that after a few days, I went from Glasgow to Edinburgh up in Scotland, and I started to read 
the autobiography of Yogi. And almost right away, it, it affected me, as probably for many of you here. And what happened, without my intention per se, that the rest of the trip really became my own personal individual pilgrimage. It was really to meditate wherever I could. And I meditate at least twice a day, if not three or four times a day, every day on this trip. And it was nine or so months in Europe. It was a long time. And, but what I found increasingly happening was that I sought out places that had um, a vibration I could resonate with more. So in England, in Scotland and England, I ended up going to a lot of churches and cathedrals. I went to Stonehenge, I went to Glastonbury, all the places that anyone in the 70s that was spiritual knew about, I went to. Um, you know, and went inside. I meditated in all those places. I remember being in some big church. I think it might have been Winchester Abbey, or cathedral, whatever it's called. And it's large, if you've ever seen photos of it. It's magnificent architecture and uh, vast hallways and spires and everything like that. And I remember meditating for a while, and uh, a uh, person came up to me, a, a church cleric, and gently tapped on my shoulder and said, are you all right? Because <laughs> I was pretty motionless for quite a time, and maybe thought that um, something had happened to me. Well, something did happen to me. Not an extreme experience, not a radical experience, but a deepening experience, a touch of going deep in meditation. And at that time, the approach to meditation I was using was primarily taught as a technique. It didn't have the surrounding of a spiritual path as we have with what Yogananda and our line of gurus brought us here. Um, but what was interesting in, as I said, what became my pilgrimage was an opening of devotion. I just really felt more and more that was what was happening to me. And interestingly, that as I was tuning to that vibration, I would connect, seemingly by chance, with other meditators. Quite a few during this journey. You know, be sitting down for a meal at the youth hostel, and suddenly there would be a discussion about meditation. And when I went over to Israel, I had friends that were over there, um, spending time volunteering on kibbutzes. I don't know if you know what a kibbutz is, but it's a communal settlement, typically a rural farm settlement in Israel. And um, I went over there and uh, it was a remarkable time. I had three major periods in a short time, about five weeks, or actually it was more like nine weeks I was in Israel. But um, the first I was trying to track down uh, my friends and they were moving about. They weren't at the kibbutz that they had been at. And remember, this is 1975. There were no little gadgets called smartphones. Um, and uh, finally tracked them down. And they were down uh, in the Sinai Desert. If, if you don't know your geography, I'll explain it. That the Red Sea 
borders on the east side the Sinai Desert. And there's a little gulf that comes up that goes a little bit northwest called the Gulf of Elat. Elat. And, and so I'd heard they were down there. And so this was 1975, and this geography, this topography was in the hands of Israel. Um, they then returned it to Egypt um, in 1979, and that's with Jimmy Carter and uh, getting the Nobel Prize for creating that possibility. But then it was belonged to Israel, and, and so I found my friends. Well, they weren't in the town of Elat, which was a fairly good-sized town. They were just in the desert. And on, on the shoreline of the Gulf of Elat. And there were like maybe, I don't know, 30 people that had just basically made tents out of bed sheets. And there were abandoned um, um, Bedouin, nomadic Bedouin stone structures without roofs that they put sheets on top of. And a lot of those people meditated. And some of the people who didn't, we found out there was a meditation teacher in Jerusalem, and we got about eight people to go and get taught how to meditate. So we would have these gatherings of meditation, and a lot of us did the yoga asanas as well. Um, but it was there that I first heard one of Yogananda's chants. Listen, listen, listen to my heart's song. Because we were gathered around the evenings, we'd have potlucks and share food, and, and then often there'd be music. Back then it was Cat Stevens, Donovan, and those kind of songs. Uh, um, but suddenly this, this, someone played this song. Listen, listen, listen to my heart's song. And I could just feel, that's not a Donovan song. Um, this isn't the Beach Boys. And I just felt, this is, so I asked, and he said it was Yogananda. And, and it was there that someone showed me the little book, Metaphysical Meditations. And uh, so I read it for a few days, and I thought, well, all these things were converging. Again, showing that this adventure, this expedition I was on, was really my own personal unfoldment as a pilgrimage. And then the second part of my time in Israel was for Easter and Passover. And I was in Jerusalem at that time. Because some of my friends had friends who had friends that uh, knew people. <laughs> and, and so I was able to spend Good Friday walking the Stations of the Cross in Jerusalem. And very powerful. And then in the evening, uh, with some of my Jewish friends, uh, we went to a, a Shiva? Is that what it's called? Shiva? Well, the, like a seminary? With, I can't remember what the word is. I think it's called Shiva. Yeah. 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 So, not the Shiva, but a Shiva. But uh, was able to spend uh, the blessing of Passover in uh, a very sacred ceremony. And really felt in the powerful places of Jerusalem. By the way, this isn't a pitch for the pilgrimage in the fall. <laughs> With Gyandev and Diksha, who will have information. Um, um, but um, it, it was very, very real. I mean, I grew up rebelling against the Lutheran church I was brought up in. 
And I had friends that were Jewish, and so I got to know a little bit of understanding. Actually, the person that got me into meditation was Jewish, and she really allowed herself to share some of the, the things that she'd experienced in her tradition that were more mystical and, and deep. And so I had that, and, and the experience in Jerusalem was that deep. I didn't travel around Israel much, but everywhere I went again, I'd have people meditating with me. So again, at the yeshiva, there were people that had learned the same technique of meditation that I had learned. And so we were able to share in that way. And then the third part in Israel is a part of this pilgrimage. I want to spend time, I had a yearning even from my earlier teen years of trying to figure out what would be possible in terms of living together with other people that wasn't in the way that I'd experienced. So I wanted something that had community um, more to it. And I'd read things about the Tennessee farm and other things at that time. I hadn't read about Ananda, didn't hear about it at that point. But I went to a kibbutz, so a community, a spiritual, well it wasn't a spiritual community actually. They were pretty neutral um, in terms of the Judaic tradition spiritually. But it was interesting, within a week there were three other volunteers that came into the program that had learned to meditate just in the past few months. One from Burgundy in France, and two from the island of Tasmania. And then we found out there was a, a young woman uh, in the kibbutz, a resident, that had learned to meditate. So the bunch of us got together to meditate. We didn't last long as a group because uh, this is already getting hot in, I think it was end of February, early March, that uh, we worked in the vineyards. And we had to be out there at six o'clock in the morning uh, to work. And so the others kind of faded in terms of the group meditation. Um, and then we'd, we'd meditate often later in the day. But, but it was just interesting that, I mean, really out of nowhere, why suddenly these people would be also into meditation. And I never spoke a word of it to the first volunteer that came from Burgundy. I was thinking, oh my God, now I'm going to have to explain to him I meditate and I get up at 4.30 and da-da-da-da-da, you know. And the first thing he said, you know, guess what? I don't know if you're into it, but I just learned to meditate a few months ago. <laughs> and it was that way. And then often throughout uh, the different parts of Europe that I went to, it was that way, that I would have a conversation. It may not have been an Eastern tradition of yoga meditation that people would be into, but that was common enough. But I found that there were others that were open. It was like we all had our radar out. Not consciously, not intentionally to say, I'm going to really tune into the meditators, but just that awareness. And what I picked up on even back then was the idea of offering. Because there was a part of me that still rebelled, resisted against even the word worship because it had connotations, it had meanings to it that weren't really what I was looking towards or, or tuning into. And so I really, even in the churches and cathedrals, I rarely went to many of the services or the ceremonies. I just wanted to be enriched by the vibration of tuning in with meditation. And I, and I received that. But the thing I started to tune into also was this idea that I just mentioned of offering, that I realized it wasn't just about getting, but it was opening up. And so I didn't want to predetermine what it was that's trying to happen. But 
I mean, the only thing I really started to tune into, and maybe in even a selfish way, but a divine selfish way, was that I yearned for more devotion. That was real to me. I just, I just could feel it more as a reality, as an experience. And wherever it was, I remember uh, on that Good Friday in Jerusalem, that with the residents of the yeshiva, as part of the Pesach, the Passover celebration, we went to the Wailing Wall. We went to the famous Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, in the old part of Jerusalem. And it's separated, you know, between men and women. But, and the chanting in Hebrew was, it reminded me more of the Grateful Dead than anything else. It, it was raucous, and, but it was energizing. It's sort of like when some people get into chanting in our kirtans, when they really let loose. It, it was like that. Um, but I, I could feel, even then, I mean, I was only 20 years old and new to the spiritual path. I could feel something welling up inside. I could feel there's more to this than just my, my thoughts about this, more than just what I assume is happening here. There was something real that was there. And certainly walking the Stations of the Cross, I could feel the potency of what that experience was. Um, it was kind of chaotic doing it with people. I mean, there's a lot of people walking these narrow streets of old Jerusalem. But even then, I could just feel there's something more here. And I don't think I identified it as devotion. I didn't probably have the means or the sense of labeling it. But I, when I look back on what I was feeling, I knew it was devotion without labeling it. It was, it was real to me. It was, my worship was really just inside my heart and being there in whatever way I could be. But the other thing that I tuned into, and certainly, well, what happened when I returned from this trip back to Canada, where I was living, um, that I went to a meditation, group meditation with the association that I learned meditation from. And we had a question and answer satsang afterwards. And so the person now directing the center was someone that had started with me in meditation in this tradition. Um, so I knew her and you know I was comfortable, but there were probably 60 people at this meditation. And in the question I said, so what about devotion? <clears throat> And she was very good. Her response was, it's a very important thing. You probably won't get it here. It was very interesting. And so it was the last time I meditated with that group. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that in a cynical, negative way. It was just clear that that was not happening. Now, I then purchased a hardcover of the Autobiography Yogi because it was so much a treasure. And I probably read that book three, four times. Never read that there was an organization connected with Yogananda. I mean, I don't know if you're like that at times when you just don't see something. But literally, it was like a veil over me that I never caught that until I was giving the autobiography to someone. And uh, she then came back a month later and said, by the way, there are these lessons from Yogananda. 
I said, what? <laughs> and, um, and so um, I said, hmm, okay. And I rode away. And at the same time, I walked into this um, metaphysical bookstore. And I just happened to gaze up at a point, and there were these photographs on top of the bookshelves. And I thought, I know those guys. <laughs> and, and then, you know, talked to the owners, and, and, and I saw this book, Cooperative Communities, How to Start Them and Why. And I thought, yeah, I still have this yearning for community. And then I forgot about the book. And um, then I saw that the path was out. It was an ad in the Yoga Journal magazine. And so I sent away for it. So this was in the beginning of 1978. And, and then I thought, I'm, I'm going to go back to that bookstore and get this book on communities. The bookstore had closed. <laughs> so I hunted down the owners. And this was in the middle of a cold Winnipeg winter. Um, I didn't have a car. And they lived on the other side of a fairly large-sized city, Winnipeg. But I found out, and they had all the inventory in boxes, not in any order, in their basement. And so it took up a, a huge space, these boxes. And I said, I'm looking for this book. And they said, there are a lot of books here. <laughs> but I think it took us only to about the fifth box out of about 80 boxes, luckily. And I found it. And I had no connection. I just looked at the cover of the book and read a little bit on the back. Didn't connect it with Yogananda at all. I was just thinking, communities. And so suddenly, here it was. Pictures on the bookshop, connected a dot. I got the path uh, about the same time, because I'd ordered it and it took back then some weeks to get to me. And then this other book was Swami Kriyananda as well. And there were connected with Yogananda. And it was amazing that these steps of pilgrimage, but then this idea of receptivity started to blossom much more at that time in my life, that the offering was there. I felt that. Now, I never prayed before, because in the traditional meditation that I started with, prayer wasn't part of that. And it wasn't until I started tuning into Yogananda's emphasis of what prayer was, sacred demands, a way to really be there in a real sense with God, not pleading, not begging, not, not demanding from the lesser self, but help me reach my true destiny. That was the prayer that I saw. And I remember getting the little booklet, How You Can Talk With God. They have a bigger format now, but it's a tiny little booklet. Um, and I remember reading that book, sitting in my chair thinking, God is available. And I sat there thinking, I'm not going to leave my chair until I have this conversation with God. And it didn't work the way I thought it would, in that it wasn't on that level that I was at. Because I was coming at it from, this should happen from my ego. And, but afterwards, I, 
I felt the calmness. And so afterwards, it was like a few days later, I felt, ah, how you can talk with God has to do with the nurturing of being open to whatever comes. It isn't necessarily in the format or the model that I projected. And of course, it didn't happen in the way that I projected. But that receptivity became really the way that I understood, again, never labeling it worship, but that's really what I was coming to as an experience, that that offering more and more as an opening up and the receptivity of allowing that to come into my experience. And so when I started meditating with the techniques that Yogananda gave, when I first learned the Hong Sa technique. Now, for those of you who have taken the lessons from Self-Realization Fellowship, which I took back in 1977, that you immediately get, in the third lesson, the visualization of expanding sphere of light and joy. You don't get Hong Sa until about lesson 19. It's like four months. It was almost like it was set up for me individually because it allowed me to let go of my previous mantra, the technique I had, and allowed me to be in that offering as well as receptivity of only using that visualization twice a day, every day, for four months, plus energization. But, but in terms of a still meditation, that was the only technique I had. But it gave me this reality of offering into that expanding light and then receiving that flow of that light expanding in my awareness. And it really is the way that all of us tuning into these teachings are really able to experience the best way to worship. It is very personal, it is very individual, but these are the signs, these are the experiences that come to every one of us. It isn't as if some people are left outside of the experience. They, their timeline may be different than someone else's or everyone else's, but the experiences are there because why? It's the soul's destiny to come into this experience. So be in that experience. Be always offering yourself in the deepest and highest way, and always be open to receive that. And as the prayer of Yogananda is that I began the service with, let's take this into our lives, into our experience. Beloved Lord, make our souls thy temple, make our hearts thy altar, and make our love thy home. 